Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. This is episode number 95. Today, we're doing a little uh, remote version of the podcast, uh, throwing it back to a couple episodes that we did like this early on in the summer. So today, I'm joined by Tyler McDonald, all the way from his home desk there, uh, a couple miles down the road from me, I think. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That should be a fun one. It was an interesting Grand Prix, uh, really a, a tale of, of two halves, because the first half of the Grand Prix was like, yeah, edgier seat, exciting. And the second half of the Grand Prix was kind of like, uh, uh, it was all right, nothing crazy, but uh, the first half was great. Yeah, kind of like uh, typical Formula One nowadays, really, where it's like, although this race had a lot of really good, unique gems in it that we'll get to. Um, of course, uh, Shaker can't join us today. He's busy uh, off with work this week, so we'll catch up with him after the Imola Grand Prix. So just before we jump right into some of the Portuguese Grand Prix events, uh, just two quick housekeeping notes. A reminder that our podcast is sponsored by the GP Box. Follow the links down below in the description if you want to uh, get some discount codes on some nice F1 memorabilia. The holidays are coming around the corner, so if you're looking for some gift ideas for some of your F1 friends or family, perfect case there. And also, we're going to be doing a a little bit of a giveaway slash challenge in the coming days that we'll release, uh, probably tomorrow, hopefully, by the time this podcast has come out. It is our uh, 100K video view challenge uh, we're approaching almost 100,000 views on that verstappen uh, whether the dutch fans are better than the tofosi that video i think we did uh, back in the summer right uh, tyler i think last yeah, year summer last year yeah it's been a little bit yeah and amazingly i think we checked this not too long ago the views have just kept going up and up which is completely blowing our minds so thank you to everyone out there so we kind of thought it'd be a unique opportunity to challenge everybody to try to get it to 100k views as it would be the first 100k view video on our channel, which would be quite the milestone for us. So we're going to be giving away a nice little prize for that as well for that challenge. So head to our Twitter. By the time you're watching this, just head to the Twitter page at TBMF1 show and you'll get all the details there to enter the contest. So exciting a uh, couple of things that are coming up on our channel. All right, so now that that stuff is out of the way, let's get into the race, Tyler. So you immediately touched on the Algarve circuit off the top of the show, and we did a lot of previews and look-aheads to this circuit. So what did you think after 66 laps and all the practice? Um, you know, I did the video a couple days ago, whether the, the track lived up to the hype and whether it should come back onto the calendar. What's your impressions of the Algarve circuit? Well, I think it, first it's a beautiful circuit. I mean, Portugal is a beautiful country in general, but uh, with all the rolling hills and elevation changes uh, on that circuit really tested the drivers and their capabilities this weekend. And I thought that a lot of the drivers appreciated it as well, that's, you know, knowing how hard it was. And an interesting aspect too, with all the tires not really warming up to temperature, it really gave the drivers uh, something to think about with the slick surface, the newly... Uh, paved surface. I think they said they paved it last month. So that's, I mean, that's not a lot of time for it to get some rubbering in. And then, uh, of course, the tire selections were uh, maybe a little too hard, in my opinion, but um, they definitely provided some challenges for the drivers. So um, all that aside, in general, the circuit was amazing. I really enjoyed turn one. Some people were talking about how it should maybe should be a chicane to help the overtaking, but I think it really tested the drivers placement of their cars i mean we saw you know lance stroll didn't really get his placement right uh but we saw some great uh, overtakes on turn one uh, a very high speed turn one we don't usually see that uh, on the f1 calendar so i think that made that a little unique absolutely i i'm glad you brought up turn one there because i was so glad that they kept that original layout because i knew they talked back when i did the preview in uh, july uh, or sorry, the circuit guide in July, they said, oh, they might use that chicane because it's too fast uh, with the, what they used to, at this track. But then I was like, when I drove it on Project Cars 2, I'm like, man, I really hope that they keep 
the section that they eventually kept because it was great. And yeah, like you said, it didn't work out for Lance Stroll twice, <laughs> which uh, which we'll get to a little bit later. But let's start off with what, uh, what I'm going to pick up on what you said there about the start. And I do agree. I think that they should have gone with the step softer of tires. Um, I think it would have helped a lot, especially because it was a little bit cooler in the race with the damp rain conditions and everything. So it would have helped. But I wanted to start off with Kimi Raikkonen's start, and I'm just going to share the screen here as well, just because I think that we need to watch this while we talk over it. And Kimi Raikkonen, for me, when you look at who could have been driver of the day, I mean, this was a toss-up between Raikkonen and Gasly and Lewis Hamilton and a couple others as well, Sergio Perez. But I just thought that what Kimi Raikkonen did on lap one was the absolute stuff of legend. So I'm just going to play it here and maybe talk me through your reactions while you're watching this. Well, definitely a case of right tire, right time for Kimi. And the veteran experience of him uh, was really shown throughout this this first lap. He loses a position going into turn one, but places the car nice three wide going through turn one. I never thought we would see that going into turn one here at Portimao. And he makes his, a nice little move along the outside, passes a couple of cars, a little bit of a tough traction for the runners on the medium tires. And you can really see it right here versus Vettel. He gets great traction coming yeah. midway through uh, that straight. And then dive bombs Lance Stroll, goes toward, I believe that was Esteban Ocon yep. uh, in, uh, in P10 there. Gets up to P11. So he's up five positions right now. And then this is what really impressed me here. These next couple of sections, he rolls right around the outside of Volcon easily. Gets enough traction to get very close to, I believe that was Pierre Gasly. Um, and then switches it up to the inside. He's also on soft tires. So the fact that Raikkonen, there's, that's where I saw the veteran experience come out between Gasly yeah. and Raikkonen. He just got on the power enough. Same here with Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, still on soft tires as well, but goes right around the outside of Ricciardo. And then coming up to uh, the midway point of lap up the hill, outbreaks, uh, I believe that was Alex Albon, who did not have a good first uh, lap as well. And then you can see him place the car nice to get a good exit on the outside here and really help his run. He gets a little more speed than Charles Leclerc and obviously flat out through here. You can really see maybe Leclerc was uh, affected by the dirty air and then now we have this very long pit straight, which... Uh, he nip and tucks ball. Uh, Strauss go three wide again through almost through turn one and uh, nips Charles Leclerc and just couldn't get by Verstappen, but he had a good chance of getting by Verstappen and uh, yeah, no, very impressive from Kimi Räikkönen. Uh, maybe the best first lap uh, this year for sure, if not. Uh, oh, without career. a doubt. I mean, it was really good. I mean, you could probably go even far as to compare that to Senna at Donington in 1993 at the European Grand Prix with when he was down in fifth in the wet and then came back to lead the race after lap one. Uh, maybe this wasn't as, I mean, he didn't take the, the lead, but I, I just thought it was absolutely incredible. 10 positions. And I was so confused because there was so much going on at lap one. Carlos Sainz was almost into the lead. He was in second. And then when they went to that helicopter shot and I'm looking, I'm like, is that an Alfa Romeo? I'm like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> I was like, how, I couldn't wait till the replays. I'm like, how the hell did Kimi Raikkonen get there? And I think even uh, Max Verstappen in the pro race press conference was like, then I saw Kimi and I was so confused. <laughs> <laughs> it was phenomenal. I mean, uh, really put out his, his full expertise on display on lap one. And uh, yeah, it was it was perfect. I don't know if he just like maybe he since he was at the end of the grid, his tires were warmed up just that little bit more than the soft runners up at the front, and that's why we saw those passes and 
obviously he he beat out uh, people on the medium tire. And remember, it was raining a little bit on that first lap as well. So the, the soft tires really were the right tires to be on. That's what led Carlos Sainz into being in the lead. And I was like, holy, here we go. Like maybe Sainz can hold on to it, but no, no. Yeah, I was so excited too. I was like, yes, let's go, Carlos. Second second time this year he's led a race, which is pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, hats off, man, to Kimi Raikkonen. I, I loved his quote after the race, and I'm paraphrasing it here. He's like, yeah, you know, initially I didn't get a good start, you know, being as humble as possible, right? He's like, yeah, initially I didn't get a good start, but then at one point I was like thinking to myself, what are the rest of these guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think you're right. I think with uh, starting a little lower on the grid, uh, more temperature in the fronts and the rear tires, and then also the rallying experience of the Iceman, I think, came into play. And you saw him seesawing, seesawing away at the, at the steering wheel, so excellent lap one. And uh, yeah, he was one of many. Now, we go back on to lap one because there's so many things that happened here. Like you said, I think afterwards the race kind of calmed down a little bit. But if we go back into lap one, let's take a look at one of the main incidents that had a lot of debate that uh, one of the racing points as well was Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen. So we're going to take a look at the incident and then maybe I'll get your thoughts after it. But this was at the tricky turn three going into turn four. Now, keep in mind that turn four here you're going up, so it's pretty much blind. It's very off-camber. It's in a difficult corner. So, Tyler, when you're watching this and seeing the replays, who do you think was at fault here? Well, that angle really didn't help anyone, but um, this was the angle here, I guess, or one of the angles. I mean, I don't think anyone's really at fault. It's a full-on turn one, or sorry, not turn one, lap one racing incident, in my opinion. Um, you know, Max got a lot of understeer going up through that hill. Um, Sergio thought, I don't know if he thought it was clear. It didn't really give him, could have gave him a little more space. Could have gave him another meter or so. And I think that would have helped with the, uh, the contact between the two. And in the end, in my opinion, I'm, I'm glad the stewards didn't do anything. You know, I thought it was just a racing instant and uh, it doesn't really matter for Sergio because he had a great race as well. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. I mean, who knows what he could have done had he stayed in that position, but eventually clawed his way back. But yeah, man, I completely agree with you at the time. And a lot of people were upset with Verstappen. But honestly, I didn't even think Perez was that upset or was complaining about the decision. And again, it's like you said, it's lap one. So I think that these incidents are different. And we just talked about all the issues that they had with tire warm up and understand the nature of that corner as well. I mean, I've never driven this track in real life, but I've done a lot of laps in project cars too. So I am familiar with it. And that turn four, it's uphill, it's off camber, and you naturally do understeer into that corner. So I can only imagine that lap one, he was pushed wide uh, in turn three by, I think, Valtteri, which, you know, got the tires a little bit dirtier. So probably even had less grip. And I think that Verstappen tried his very best to give Perez as much space as possible. And like you said, it's just a lap one incident. You know, two cars don't go into one like that. And it was just unfortunate for Perez. Yeah, I mean, you could see Max. I mean, it's not like he like saw the wheel straight or saw the wheel to the to the right. I mean, he was on almost full lock left as, as much as he could go uh, in that turn. So, I, I mean, it's not like he opened the steering a little bit to hit Perez. He was trying to avoid him. Perez maybe thought he was clear or had the speed to clear him. Um, could have, again, could have gave him maybe an extra meter, but a very, very close. Uh, no incident there or no serious incident there for me uh, to have a penalty given to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And it sucked though, because Perez had good pace in the end and then eventually just went to have a good race as well. So, um, but yeah, so it's a racing incident. That's the nature of that circuit too. But I, I was surprised that we didn't see more incidents going into turn one, two, and then three. 
Um, and actually, we we had a fan viewer that was yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say I think the reason we saw that and this was mentioned a ton of times during the uh, the broadcast was whoever came up with the DRS zone was just off by you know 100 meters, 150 meters because it was just a little too powerful um, down the pit straight. People were passing before even the braking zone, so would have been nice to have that maybe 100, 150 meters further up the track and create some interesting aspects and you know, going to turn one maybe that maybe that was their thing they didn't want contact in turn one and that's why they made it so far away but i don't know i thought it was too overpowered yeah absolutely and it, it was you saw so many overtakes happen just before they even got <clears throat> excuse me before they even got to turn one which is which is what we don't want to see like it's you know obviously it's a problem with the drag reduction system in this era of f1 but you want to see that drag reju- reduction system just give sort of that little bit of a boost but then the driver skill still have to finish it under braking which we saw like a little bit afterwards in, in some of the ghastly overtakes in turn one but yeah i completely agree there i think if they, we do have another race here they're gonna have to shorten that for sure yeah i agree sorry go to ahead to your uh, to your viewer comments yeah, no, I just wanted to uh, play this video because we we're just talking about the race start and everything. And we had one of our fans, uh, so many comments came in on the circuit guide video. So thank you to everybody for that. Um, but one of the fans here, I'll just share this for you, Tyler, so you can see it as well. Um, he was at the race, actually, uh, nice, watching at awesome. turn one. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fans there in Portugal. So I don't know the COVID situation there, but I'm glad to see fans back in the stands. That's awesome. Yeah, it so was great. Lucky for him to uh, Samuel. Good for you, Samuel, to be able to, to head to the track. Yeah, so we'll just play this here for everybody. I'll post the link in the description if you want to check out the full video. We did the formation lap as well, but a great view here from a fan's angle in turn one about how it looked like. And like you were talking about, man, it's very tight when you get into this turn two section and turn three as well, but I was surprised everybody was really well behaved. Yeah, like I said, like three wide and a couple lockups there, but <laughs> three wide going into turn one. I mean, I'm sure that would have been wild from his point of view, but it's so cool to see track view. I mean, you know, I mean, haven't seen that in a long time. So it's uh, pretty cool. Thank you very much, Samuel. It's awesome. Yeah, appreciate that very much. I love to watch uh, fan footage videos, uh, you know, trackside. I, I just think it's a much better angle and, and it gives you more of an advantage or more of a perspective of the speed as well. So I love watching those videos. Um, so yeah, that was that. Now, uh, moving down a little bit further into the race here, when we're still stuck on this turn one, because a lot of these incidents happened as well, but talking about the other racing point incident that happened was Lance Stroll and Lando Norris. Now, I'm curious to know what you think, because personally for me, I would chalk this one up to a racing incident as well. I don't think that Lance Stroll deserved the penalty for this. And when we looked at the overtake, I mean, I think that Lance Stroll's sort of rustiness, not racing in almost like a month, you know, with uh, having to miss last uh, race because he was sick. And then the race before that, he got obviously hit by Charles Leclerc. So I think that you saw that sort of rustiness a little bit in his racecraft. I think if he would have been able to do it over again, he probably would have went down on the other side into turn one. And, and Norris did squeeze him a little bit, but I, I kind of just thought it was a racing incident. I didn't really know if he really deserved that penalty because he came off worse for wear, you know, really messed up his race, retired afterward anyway. So how did you see that incident play out? Well, first off, I don't think the inside was the right way to go for anyone during through turn one. I mean, I kind of thought that at the beginning of the race, and that's just not going to work because the outside is going to have way more... Uh, traction and be able to 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 come back on that move and uh, i'd rather run out wide and, and make my my next turn a little easier so i don't know why people were going to try to overtake on the inside it seemed that the outside was a way to overtake um but uh i i've got to put put it on lance stroll there and the reason i say that is because he had a collision with max verstappen in practice the <laughs> exact same thing and he ended up doing the exact same thing to to Norris so 
I don't know. Uh, I thought that, you know, probably learn your lesson, maybe back out of that one, try it and, and then get a better run going toward turn three. That, that would have been my thought process if I was stroll. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think five seconds was probably enough and, and given for him. And I think that he, he deserved that penalty, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it was his fault. I don't think Norris did anything that was untoward. I think he defended that position well. I just think that, like you said, I think what Gasly did versus Perez and a couple other drivers as well, when he backed out and then tried to go a different way, maybe into the next corner or maybe the next lap. So I definitely think that he was to blame. I just thought that the five seconds was a little bit harsh, um, you know, for that. But, you know, I, I do think at the end of the day, it was his fault and, and he could have just, you know, aired on the side of caution, used a better judgment going into there. But well, for I mean, me, patience was yeah, like really yeah. could have helped him there. I mean, you would have had him going down the next straight um, if you waited a lot. So uh, in the end, I think you probably should have just had a little bit more patience. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, they were pretty quick. Well, I don't want to say quick on the trigger, but they were handing out a lot of penalties too for track limits and everything. So they were policing things a little bit stricter in this race, which isn't a bad thing. But I think that the issue with everybody who can agree with is always the consistency with these penalties and everything. So yeah, interested to know what you guys think. So leave your thoughts down in the comments below on those incidents and uh, who was really at fault. Um, now we're talking about Pierre Gasly, man. I thought that Pierre Gasly, man, this was another brilliant race for him and and he's chalking up like drives of the season obviously i don't think anything's going to top monza of course but this one was right up there and he was really quiet after the eiffel grand prix even though he finished sixth and then this one as well too p5 finish man just seemed to have more grip than a lot of the other midfield cars on the battle and heading into this race the whole talk was between renault and mclaren and racing point the battle for third and then here comes pierre gasly finishing fifth and pulling off some amazing moves yeah he uh is really knowing how to drive that car well. I mean, he's got that car uh, on his finger. He can really work the car well, and uh, it was on display again here this week. And we keep saying this week after week, but I mean, he's he's really impressed me. Um, you know, and of course, it's going to be you know, it's Albon's seat to lose. Is Gasly going to take a seat, or Hulkenberg or Perez going to take a seat? And you know, it's it's really creating some interesting dynamic toward that Red Bull seat uh, for next season. So. Um, if he keeps performing like this, I don't think Red Bull can ignore him, but at the same time, he's doing so well with Alpha Torre. Do you really want to mess something up there and maybe put him in for another season in Alpha Torre, have a, a very good season, and then move him up from there? I mean, it's really interesting to see what will happen with, with Pierre Gasly, but he's had a phenomenal season. And uh, after a disappointment of last season uh, for him, I think it's been uh, maybe the, can you call him the comeback driver of the year, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Comeback driver, most improved driver of the year, if they have those awards. <laughs> uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And almost at this point, I just think he's better off to stay where he is. And, mm -hmm. and it seems like Alpha Tower is sort of moving away from being a Red Bull junior team and being more of the B team and more of a competitive team. See what happens in 2022. But when you look at the other side of the, not the other side of the garage, but the other side of the team, Alex Albon, again, we heard all the talk heading into the weekend that he had to prove himself in the next two races, really. And then Red Bull were going to make the decision. And again, had a very, very tough race, not a great result. But I do want to point something out that somebody, I can't remember exactly who brought it up, but I did see it on Twitter, that Red Bull have kind of screwed him over a little bit with the strategy in the last few races. And almost that they pit him so early to go on to whatever tire it is, just to kind of see what that's going to be like for Max. So in almost in a way, they sacrifice his race just to see how it's going to be for Verstappen and whether he should go on to the softer tire or the harder tire. 
And I would have to agree with that analysis, actually. I think they have done that a couple of times, but I do think when we were looking at lap one just a couple minutes ago, too, it's just that, you know, Albon's been struggling there as well. And in qualifying, was a little bit better, was closer to Max, but still quite a ways away. And then in the race, just not able to bring it together. Yeah, um, that's an interesting point uh, to bring up for Alex. I mean, at the end of the race, he was keeping pace with Max Verstappen right behind him. The only problem is that he was a lap down. So, I mean, that that doesn't really help him. But, he, I mean, he has the pace. His qualifying really needs improvement. I think that's where you're going to see uh, it come down to. If he can get his qualifying and be up, you know, even if he's three, four tenths off at Max rather than seven, eight tenths off, um, during qualifying, it puts him up the grid right by him. And, and that's when you can really kind of play with strategy because then you can do the the classic uh, Ferrari and, you know, have your your B driver kind of just try and hold the, the Mercedes back to help your A driver uh, either make one position or two positions on, on the Mercedes. But um, yeah, his qualifying really needs to improve if, uh, if he's going to be a contender in terms of uh, podium positions because he has a racecraft and he can drive the car really well, I think, but it's just lacking the pace on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, time is running out because I think that even though they have some connections, obviously, with the money that he brings and the Thailand connection that we talked about in the last couple of podcasts, I think Red Bull have to make the decision like, OK, we can't we need Max. It, it's not just enough to have a second driver for Max. You, you need somebody there that can occasionally split the Mercedes, occasionally even take a race victory, just like Valtteri Bottas does. I mean, we, we kind of joke on on Valtteri's expense sometimes as a number two driver, but he's a damn good number two driver. Yeah. And like Brundle said in the weekend, if it wasn't for Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas would be probably winning the world championship this year, more than likely. I mean, he's within a couple one hundredths of a seconds of Lewis Hamilton almost every weekend, which is quite impressive. So you need that kind of a guy uh, alongside Max Verstappen. So whether it's Hulkenberg or Perez, I'm not sure. But the, the silly season rumors are, are wild. It's like wild season now because it could be Perez going to Williams in the place of Russell. Maybe Nico Hulkenberg going to Red Bull. Maybe Sergio Perez going to Red Bull. So the pressure George is Russell on. Maybe without a seat. Yeah, exactly. He's going to get Oconned. Yeah, even though he has a contract. I mean, the poor guy. It's not like, I don't know. I don't agree with that. I think yeah. Williams should keep the same two drivers that they have on our contract for next year. But that's uh, TBC down in the next couple of weeks. I would presume they would make a decision. So we'll see about that. I, would, I think we'll expect something around Turkey uh, because they'll, some of these drivers, if you're Russell or if you're Perez or anybody else, they have to make the decisions in terms of what they're going to do for next season. So very interesting times, uh, and I'm curious to see what Red Bull is eventually going to decide. They said they're going to keep him in the seat for the rest of the season, which to me obviously makes a whole lot of sense. Doesn't really make any sense to bring up Gasly or anybody else for the rest of the year uh, just to demote him. But whether he stays there for 2021, I don't know. It's it's looking less and less likely, but we'll see what happens this weekend in Imola and then in Turkey. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to do there for for Alex Albon for sure. Um, I believe just of note that Alpha is going to be keeping both Kimi and Giovinazzi for next season as well, which you know, yeah. we thought Giovinazzi seat might be opening up there uh, to bring in Mick Schumacher, but it doesn't seem like it. it seems like that uh, the two young kids are going to be going to Haas, which is very interesting. Um, yeah. And really kind of not even, I mean, it, it screws up the whole driver lineup for, for the silly season predictions uh, in general, because we thought one of them was going to go to Alpha. And I'm surprised that they're kind of keeping Giovinazzi. I mean, Giovinazzi is a good driver, but uh, the money that either Mazepin or, or um, 
Schumacher can bring in would, would be astronomical for Alpha. But no, they're they're going to be keeping the same driver lineup. It seems as a little rumor. So interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I had that in my notes that obviously has confirmed that Magnussen and Grosjean are out uh, at the end of this year. And I was a little bit surprised too. <laughs> You're pretty. <laughs> I'm, uh, it's it's awful for the sport in terms of memes and uh, <laughs> and in general. Uh, I mean, I love Roma. Um, I'm glad he got a point this season. Yes, me too. I I, I think that he uh, should be um, on the grid in some way, even as like a reserve driver or something. Um, K Mag, I think actually deserves a seat in F1. I think he has a lot to prove still. Um, but uh, yeah, too bad. I'm, I'm sure my prediction is K Mag's going to be going to IndyCar next year, and uh, and uh, Roman to either the DTM or World Endurance Championship. I know he wants to do some endurance. He loves endurance racing. Yeah, or Formula E. I think he might be doing some testing yeah. uh, with them soon. So, yeah, plenty of options. And I actually like Magnuson to IndyCar. I think that would be incredibly exciting and much better for him, actually, because he can actually contend for for race wins and maybe even some championships there, which yeah. is, I think, kind of the future he wants to go at. Although, yeah, like I'd like to see him in Formula One in a competitive car. He just hasn't gotten that there at Haas. And I just think time ran out for that team. I think a change was necessary. We thought that it might come in 2019. They gave it another year. Uh, still didn't work out and Haas for them it's more important about getting that financial money too yeah. to kind of help them along and Mazepin brings that so it's it's I mean unfortunately that's the state of Formula One right now the way that it is we'll see what that driver lineup is going to be like but either way we're going to get an ultra young and inexperienced lineup at Haas which could be very interesting well I think it's down to three it, it's Mazepin, Eilat and Schumacher I don't think Sorokin's going to be uh, a contender there in yeah. my opinion um, so I think it's down to those three and, and I think that for the most part, the favorites are Mazepin and Schumacher, which is good. I mean, good. Again, I still think everyone needs another year at F2, um, but it'll be good for Cam Eilat to have maybe no, not no competition, but, um, be the, the sole Ferrari junior academy, or the academy driver that, that has a, a real shot at the F2 championship next year. He has a shot this year, but, um, really will have a shot. Uh, at controlling next year and really controlling his destiny because then maybe he fits into to Alfa Romeo. Um, so it, it might be a blessing in disguise for Cameron Isla. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting to see who they fill for those seats. I believe Gunter Steiner said that, um, or no, sorry, I think Roman said this. And when Gunter called him, said that, uh, he, he, Roman said, you can't keep one of us. And he said, no, I want to, but it's a money situation. So it does 100% confirm that the sponsorship money from those tiers is going to be very helpful for Haas and their development down the future. Cause I think they said that they're, you know, I mean, they didn't say this, but in my, my opinion is that, you know, they're willing to take a hit 2021 and take a hit maybe in 2022 as well to really push for something in 2023 with that driver lineup. Yeah. And it makes sense to give them that one year of experience. The cars will be totally different in 2022, but still to get that one year under their belt, I think will help for that development. And interesting what Alfa Romeo will do past this season. If Kimi Raikkonen does retire at the end of 21, do they stick? Do they keep Giovinazzi? Do they throw Calamailot in there? I mean, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. But obviously a big decision there for Ferrari because they control all the young drivers as well. So, yeah, and like you said, it's the same problem at Williams too, right? I mean, Nicholas Latifi brings a ton of sponsorship money. So he's more favorable for the new Doralton Capital Group that owns Williams. Whereas a guy like George Russell undoubtedly deserves to be in that Williams seat and is a better driver right now at the moment than Nicholas Satifi, but Russell doesn't bring as many sponsors and he's also a Mercedes driver. So if you're Williams in this new ownership group, you're kind of thinking, well, 
you know, why are we keeping a Mercedes driver who's eventually just going to leave us and go to Mercedes? We'll bring in a guy like Perez who wants to develop a long-term project or keep a guy like Latifi who's not contracted to any manufacturer and could be the driver for our future. So it, it's, very, it, it's a very interesting, silly season. And it's all Sebastian Vettel's fault. Remember that. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. He screwed everything up. Yeah. Or Ferrari really, did, actually. <laughs> Ferrari did bring in science over, really. That really screwed everyone up. Yeah. Yeah, but it's Just exciting. Guy. Just a quick note, I know we were talking about IndyCar a second ago, but if there's any Australian fans watching, uh, Scott McLaughlin, a fantastic V8 supercar racer, had his debut at St. Petersburg uh, this last race, the finale for uh, for IndyCar. He'll be racing full-time uh, in IndyCar in 2021. He is an absolute talent that I think if he dominates uh, IndyCar for the next two years, might squeak in to an F1 seat uh, if someone notices him. I could see that happening. He's a Team Penske driver for uh, in the V8 supercars. Um, he's uh, obviously going to Team Penske. They have IndyCar teams as well. And uh, had, a, had a decent debut. Uh, got crashed out there midway through the race, but uh, a wonderful talent. He's a f- fantastic driver. And uh, it would be interesting to see if he can kind of get noticed in IndyCar. Maybe he makes a, a step toward F1. I don't know. I think he could do it. I think he has a talent to do it. It's just if people notice him. Yeah, I just caught a little bit of the highlights of that race. Uh, it was a good race. Obviously, Dixon mm-hmm. getting that. What's how many is that? Five for him, championships wise. Five or six. Or six. A lot. Yeah, yeah. Almost. He's the the Lewis Hamilton of IndyCar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, perfect segue then to go into Lewis Hamilton, and we have to talk about this. I mean, made history in a way last way last race at the Eiffel Grand Prix, equaling the record. And as we expected, and I'm happy to say I predicted correctly, finally, that he did win this race and get the 92nd victory. So he stands alone now as the most victorious Formula One driver in history. And will in a couple of races time, officially wrap up his seventh world championship, which will then equal Michael as well there. So, you know, it's funny because I kind of feel bad for Hamilton in a way. Because I mean, this is an amazing achievement, right? It's it's beyond historic. It's something that most of us never seen. Even the experts, the drivers themselves, never expected to see this record get broken. And here we are. He broke the record. He's going to get past 100 wins, most likely. And for whatever reason, it just feels like, eh, you know. And 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 I'm I don't feel that way. But it just the the reaction from social media, the reaction from just the general sports world. Maybe it's because we expected it. And we pretty much knew this was going to happen from the early races in the season. But I kind of feel bad for Hamilton just because it's such a momentous moment. And I just didn't feel that he got all the attention that he deserved for his, for his achievement. Yeah, I mean, I could agree with you a little bit there that maybe it should be kind of uh, blown out a, a little bit more uh, than it is. I've seen some features and F1 did a lot to kind of cover it, uh, doing uh, the history of of uh, Lewis Hamilton and everything like that. But uh, I mean, yeah, an occasion that will we ever see, we have to say, will we ever see this record broken again? I mean, it's a possibility uh, like anything uh, records are meant to be broken as Michael Schumacher said, uh, and so did countless others. Um, But I mean, the only person I can think of on the grid right now, able with the talent to do that is Max Verstappen. So, I mean, but he, and he's young enough to be able to do it. Um, he's got to get into a, a, a somewhere where he, it can be as dominant as, as a, as a driver with the team like Lewis Hamilton. So that'll be interesting to see in 2022, what kind of happens there with Red Bull. And if Max moves on from there, depending on how the team is doing, but, uh, I mean, monument is okay for, for Lewis, uh, really cool for the sport. It got a lot of people talking about the sport, uh, 
that maybe don't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, Lewis Hamilton is obviously a very recognizable name uh, due to his online presence and all the work he's done uh, uh, off the track as well as, as all the work he's done on the track and very humble he is. So um, no, congrats to Lewis. Uh, phenomenal for him. And uh, we'll see how many he ends up getting to. Obviously he's going to get past a hundred, but what's going to be the cap? Is it going to be 110, 120? How long will he keep racing? Yeah, we never know. It could be way more than that, or you know, it could be less. It's a yeah. crazier thing. Things have happened. Uh, I did see uh, our uh, fellow Canadian F1 broadcaster or journalist or pundit, whatever you want to call him, uh, Tim Haraney on SportsCenter. He did a nice feature on Lewis Hamilton. Uh, if anybody's uh, interested to check that out, just head to tsn.ca slash racing, and you can check out uh, Tim's work there. I believe he posted also to his Twitter. Yeah. Um, and we still got that podcast available with uh, Tim Haraney. We did a couple episodes ago. I believe that was episode number 93 yeah. uh, that you can find on our podcast playlist. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Just felt that it could have gotten a little more uh, attention. But I think I say this every time Hamilton clinches a championship that it doesn't get as much notoriety. And, you know, maybe it is just because it's expected and the, the nature of Formula One at this point. But he's done an amazing job and he's been able to convert uh, what's been an amazing run of form for him and the team. And it uh, looks like it's going to continue on into 2021 and we'll see uh, if anybody can stop him. But uh, yeah, a- excellent feature that Formula One did. I love what they did with that. Uh, the pictures of all of his mm-hmm. wins all combined together. That was a, a beautiful edit uh, by whoever did that. So hats off to Formula One on that. And Canada will always have a piece in history for Lewis Hamilton. Yes, will. Of course, that's where he recorded his first ever win. So it all started here in Canada, right in Montreal. That's right. Yeah. Nice little, nice little round uh, circle there of, uh, of F1 history. So uh, yeah. yeah, congratulations to Hamilton for history there. Um, I think that's roughly everything for, uh, for the Portuguese Grand Prix. I just want to give a quick shout out to Charles Leclerc as well. P4, mm-hmm. qualified P4, finally converted the P4. Seems like the Ferrari upgrades have been working a little bit better for them. So it's good. I mean, obviously Vettel is still quite a ways away from his teammate and even he admitted it himself, which was, uh, you know, I thought was a nice gesture for him just to be honest and say, look, you know, he's in a completely league of his own right now. And I like that Leclerc. I think he's actually learned a lot from Vettel this season in terms of how to manage a team and how to work with a team that's really struggling. And you're seeing like Leclerc be more of a leader than he was last year, which is, I think, is great for them going forward. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully in 2021, they're going to be at least fighting for podiums at the very least. Um, It seems like the upgrades are working and the power units being redesigned for next season. So maybe their worst, you know, the the worst of it is over for them. Might be, yeah, rear fuser, I believe, is what they did, right? That was their major upgrade. So yeah, I know it seemed to really help this this weekend. So it's it's awesome to hear from from Ferrari, they said they'll be more competitive for podiums, which is uh, huge for them because at first they said, you know, we're not until 2022. You're like, oh, hold yeah. on here. Maybe science made the wrong decision, but uh, yeah. no, it seems like it could be a half decent for Ferrari. And the uh, the outlook is is nice. The, the, the sun is brighter on the other side of the mountain for, uh, for Ferrari, it seems. Yeah, yeah, good news for them. Um, did you have anything else from this race? I think we pretty much touched on uh, mostly all the major incidents and all the major happenings. One more thing. I don't know if you want to talk about it quickly, but the drain cover, whoa, that could have been very <laughs> dangerous. Malaysia uh, flashbacks. Yeah, it was a I mean, weird location at the uh, um, the exit of turn 14, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, yeah Vettel kicked that up and it was a long delay for qualifying. I remember I was okay well it's time for qualifying i'll turn on tv and they're like oh the drain is they filled it with cement they didn't even weld the drain back on they just filled it with cement really interesting so 
they ever go back to Portimao, I just want to wonder how they're going to do that. But I mean, I work in, in maintenance in, in building maintenance. And when you have a big event like this, um, in general, you like, you have to triple check your stuff, triple check everything. So for drain covers around the F1 in general, I mean, there's, we've seen this like once or twice a year. I don't know how these don't get checked properly, but the FI need to do a way better job or, or the track workers need to do a way better job at doing preventative maintenance on these things to make sure it's ready for race day. Because I mean, that is the last thing you want to be causing delay. It's embarrassing for the track, <laughs> embarrassing for F1. So uh, they need to figure out their preventative maintenance before they, they, they start these Grand Prix or qualifying or, because uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing. Yeah, no learn. It was the first one, but I believe there was a comment on uh, our most recent video on whether F1 should return to Portimao. And the, one of the fans that attended the race was just talking about some of the disorganization from the track organiz- track organizers in terms of getting into the track and where they're supposed to go and things like that. So, I mean, I'm not totally surprised just because it is the first race. Um, they don't have experience hosting Formula One, which is larger than MotoGP and DTM and those types of fields. And But it also happens at a race like in Montreal. You know, there, there are times, a couple of years I've gone that just, you know, you scratch your head at the organization and I don't know who it is, if it's the F, if it's Formula One or if it's whoever owns the circuit, but it's just like, wow, I mean, you know, you'd expect this multi-million dollar massive racing organization to be just completely spot on and precise considering what they do with the yeah. cars and just a couple of things that kind of leave your head scratching. So uh, hopefully they'll be back. Um, I think some rumors coming out about the 2021 calendar that they're looking at 23 races, uh, no Interlagos, a race in Saudi Arabia, but none of the new tracks, you know, no Portimao, no Mugello, hmm, which is, which, yeah, which sucks. And, and I love this track, man. I thought it was great. Um, some of the improvements that you talked about in terms of softer tires, shorter DRS zone, I think would really improve the racing. But yeah. I just love the flow of the circuit. I love that it's not like, oh, it's just one overtaking zone and then it's done and cars fall like a train. No, if you miss an overtake in turn two and three, you could get one in turn five and then the action continues to seven and eight and then in 10. And I think with the softer tires, we would have seen more overtakes in sector two and had it been not so damp. So I, they need to come back here, man. I think this is the future of F1 in terms of tracks and, and we need more tracks like this. Yeah, no, I agree. I hope they come back and uh, uh, no race in Brazil, which is, or at least at, um, at Carlos Perez, I believe it's called. Is that right? The right name for it? Uh, the Interlagos, Interlagos circuit. Interlagos, oh yeah, what's it yeah, called? Just Interlagos in general. Yeah, well, yeah we'll just say Interlagos. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it was really interesting because I love that track. Uh, I race on it on iRacing. Fun track to race on uh, virtually. I couldn't imagine driving as well. So yeah, well, once we know more about the schedule, uh, we'll definitely get our reaction toward it. But twenty-three races—that's uh, that's promising. That'd be great to see for F one um, race in Saudi Arabia. I mean. There's good. There's a lot of money there, so it uh, doesn't surprise me. What do you mean, Tyler? It's completely, totally about the quality of racing in Saudi Arabia. If there's any wrestling fans, they paid WWE one billion dollars to come do an event there, which is a lot of money. So I don't know how much they're going to be yeah. paying F1, but if, I'm sure it's going to be around that. Well, I mean, look at what the UFC did with uh, Fight Island and Abu Dhabi. Obviously, not the same country, but still, you know, the in terms of money, you know, the, those are the money capitals of the world, and they yeah. they shelled out a lot to host them. So. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's going to be like for Formula One. So, I don't cool, know. Though. Yeah, yeah we'll see. As long as they make it a, a, a decent track. I mean, we're going to have a new track next year in general, Vietnam. Yep. That's, that's, it was supposed to be this year. It's going to be a new track, obviously, next year, I'm sure, because they, they've already built it. And uh, we'll have the, the uh, Grand Prix, the Dutch Grand Prix as well, which will be great. So, not a new track, but resurface track, that'll be nice to see as well. 
yeah, can't wait. Hopefully we'll get all those races in uh, like we were supposed to this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I think that'll about do it then for uh, the Portuguese Grand Prix recap. Uh, let us know in the comments below what you thought of the race. Uh, what do you thought of the incidents we talked about? Stroll and Norris and Verstappen and Perez. Leave your comments down below. And like I mentioned off the top, uh, pay attention to our social media in the coming days on Twitter mostly, where we're going to post that contest where you guys can enter. It's going to be really simple to enter. Uh, you know, you don't have to do much other than click a link, like and retweet, and that's about it. And you'll be entered for uh, the prize draw. Um, coming up, what do we got? We got Imola coming this weekend. Uh, note to everybody that it is a two-day weekend. Yep. So if you tune in on Friday for free practice, you're going to miss everything because there will be no free practice. It'll only be on Saturday. So a slight difference there. Uh, so it'll be a two-day weekend, which should be interesting. We kind of got a, a tease of that at the Nürburgring. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we'll see how that works for, for Imola. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, F1 back at Imola will be uh, interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Hopefully we'll be able to get a preview up for you guys uh, for Thursday. Um, we'll see a little bit busier of a week here uh, just in terms of uh, our work schedules and everything like that. So we'll see if we can get a preview up for you guys. But if not, uh, pay attention to our website, tbmf1show.com. If we don't get a video out, we'll be posting an article out and uh, also updating our fantasy standings as our very own Shaker Barty has moved into the top eight of our fantasy standings. Huge. Out of nowhere. I don't even think he's changed anything yet. <laughs> Just working for him. Whatever he had set up, he's playing a long game. Yeah, I think he is, but it's working <laughs> for him. So, uh, yeah, that race is coming down to the wire in the top three. So we'll post those and that will be available everywhere on our channels, social media and on YouTube as well. All right, Tyler, I think that it does it for us for today. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, this was episode number 95. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you joining me remotely again on Zoom. I think this works out pretty well for us. Yeah, it works out all right. Hopefully it works out for the viewers as well. They get to see my lovely, uh, lovely basement. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, I got to test out my, uh, my new light kit that I got here. So, uh, you look great. You look oh, bright. Thank you. No worries. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta fix a little bit of the, the brightness behind me. I'm still adjusting it a little bit, but, uh, yeah, as I look out the window here, it is, uh, approaching six o'clock and rapidly getting darker and darker yeah. as the day goes yeah. on so winter is coming folks um so this light's going to come in handy for these podcasts uh <laughs> heading into the later stages of the season but i won't keep you any longer tyler thanks again for joining me thank you everybody out there for listening and to watching us and subscribing to our channel we appreciate the support have a great rest of the week and we'll see you after imola thank you very much